Hey, listeners, welcome back to Who Knew We Didn't, the podcast where we discuss psychology and try to apply it to our everyday lives. We are coming to you live from a library parking lot today, and you probably already know that I'm Megan, and my partner in podcast here is... Marta, and I have ADHD. Uh, Yep, (laughs) she did last week, too. (laughs) Uh, If you listened to last week's episode, it was all about ADHD, but this week we are discussing uh, something very different uh, and very serious, actually. I shouldn't have started off with comedy then, should I? Yeah, no, a joke was maybe not the right choice here, but... Choker can't change the past. Um, so today we're talking about the very serious issue of mass shootings. And in doing so, we're also going to try out a new format for the show as well. We are each going to be doing a case study of a different mass shooter. And uh, so, yeah, a couple of new things, but it, it is a pretty serious topic today. Mm-hmm. Uh, the psychology of a mass shooter. Um, I want to start off with a bit of background information I found from a forensic psychologist whose name is J. Reed Milloy. Uh, He says that uh, mass murderers typically have more in common with each other than not. Uh, They tend to have a history of psychiatric problems, which, by the way, is not quite the same thing as having a mental illness. Um, Most are men. Most have rocky, intimate relationships. Uh, The killings are usually a quest for status. And despite some shooters' claims, the reason is often not rooted in a cause. Um, A quote from Malloy Oftentimes, the pathway to violence begins with a personal grievance. It typically has three components to it. One is there's some kind of loss. Secondly, there's the feeling of humiliation. Then thirdly, there's anger toward and blaming of a person or a group of people who have caused them to have this problem. Uh, And being from Toronto, my mind immediately goes to that guy who mowed down the pedestrians uh, a few weeks ago uh, at the end of April, killing 10 people, injuring 15 people in Richmond Hill last month. Yeah, so from the articles that I read about him, he was three out of three on all of those points. Yeah, and my shooter has um, quite a bit in common with that guy. As does mine. Yeah. Uh, Not with that, not that specific guy, but like definitely has all those components. Yeah. Yeah, and something that um, we did with this new format is both of us don't know the other person's shooter. Yeah, I'm interested to hear who yours is. But uh, anyway, so so, uh, let me wrap up this intro first and then we'll get right to it. Um, Malloy says that access to weapons is obviously a factor, but he feels that social media is actually another factor here. So as I mentioned a moment ago, it's usually a quest for status. So when an attack gets a lot of like public online um, prevalence, it makes that killer notorious and suddenly they're like a household name across the country or across the world. So Malloy worries that those who are seeking similar notoriety see a mass killing like that and that like um, not plants the idea in their head, but it like gets them to a point where they make the decision to imitate that attack and get, gain their own notoriety. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, looking at behaviors instead of ideology, um, like I say, the the motivations for an attack are pretty mixed and they're difficult to pinpoint exactly. Although Malloy does f- feel that they're not rooted in a cause. Like I mentioned a moment ago, it's normally like for status. Um, but as a result, researchers and people who are trying to prevent these attacks are focusing less on ideology and like causes and more 
um, and are leaning more to focus on the behavior of these individuals instead. So an article that I found in the Scientific American referenced a study across many different lone wolf attackers and found that 83% had hinted to others about their plans before becoming violent. Um, so so that's just one thing I wanted to, to mention there, that it's not necessarily looking at ideology here. It's really looking at their, their behaviors and, uh, yeah. Yeah, and I definitely found similar things in mine. Um, there was, like, a big terrorism... Well, in the States now, it's just, like, everything is worry of terrorism mm -hmm. if you see that the person even had a bit of color in their skin you're like oh isis or yeah. whatever fighter and so mine actually goes really well with that that it's not about ideology a lot of the times and uh even some of the shooters like this isn't specific to mine but even some of the shooters that i've uh, that you've you've seen be attributed to an ISIS killing. It's somebody who's been radicalized by ISIS or something. And I yeah. wonder there, um, yeah, they've been right, radicalized and yeah, there's this ideology behind it. But like, who is that person that was radicalized? Like kind of going back to the cult episode. Yes, like exactly bringing, it. Like um, doing that brainwashing and getting them to a point uh, it, almost to a point not where they believe in the same god as you but where they believe in you enough that they'll kill for you yeah 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 yeah. that's exactly what i was thinking too i was kind of hoping when i was doing the research for my dude i was hoping that it would be that sort of a thing so i could tie it into cults, oh but it wasn't he isn't it, whatever it wasn't a terrorist attack because of ideology per se but we'll get into it um and then one th final thing that i wanted to point out and it's actually really disheartening is when i was doing my research it was really hard to find like singular profiles on my shooter a lot of it is like mass shooters in general mm -hmm. and i'm like it's fucked up when we get to a point where you can find way more articles about like this group of people in general like that they are a group of people that are researched as a group of people mm -hmm. like it's insane. Um, but something that's promising is mass shootings or shootings are not becoming more prevalent. Just the numbers of deaths are getting higher. And this has to do with the guns. So if the automatic guns like oh, or the semi-automatic guns go down, then... Then the number of victims, not necessarily the number of shootings, but the number of victims would go down. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So um, there's a small point of contention for the NRA that like semi-automatic just should be like maybe not completely taken away because there's some i've listened to some good pro-gun lobbyists like making some very valid points that me as like a hardline liberal can agree with or can sympathize with uh empathize sympathize whatever um so maybe not taking them away at all but like completely but way harsher regulation yeah um and are you ready to hear who my shooter yes. is so it's omar mateen uh the shooter from the orlando nightclub pulse shootings I was going to do Pulse. Yeah. I was going to do Pulse because I was watching RuPaul's Drag Race season nine. Oh, fuck. And um, a couple of the girls in the season um, had a very close affiliation to Pulse. And I was thinking, ooh, like, that would be a really good one mm -hmm. to do. But then I decided to do mine instead. So as if. But That's, tell me everything. Yeah. So the reason that I mentioned the fatalities is because this one at the time was the most fatal. Yeah. Kill, uh, shooting in the states until that, up, 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 up until that time I don't know about since then but he killed 49 people and wounded 53 I think the Vegas shooter killed more people I think the Vegas shooter from uh, remember he shot up that nightclub a few months ago I think he's currently that was the largest killing now since Pulse mm -hmm. um, and the killing happened two years ago two years and one day ago on the day that this episode is going up so it was june 12th 2016 
Yeah, so it's very, very close to the day that we're posting this. So that I was like, oh, well, it's kismet, I guess, in a fucked up way. Um, the perpetrator or the person who Omar was 29 was a 29 year old security guard. Um, this is the deadliest incident against LGBT people in U.S. history in general. The shooter swore allegiance to the leader of the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant, Abu Wahib. And the U.S. killed him in Iraq in the previous months. And the shooter said that this had triggered the shooting. So this like association is called ISIL, the people that he pledged allegiance oh, to. Okay. But they actually didn't like acknowledge him as like so they didn't they necessarily didn't, like, claim responsibility for the attack. Yeah, I don't think so. So they didn't train him. They didn't. He wasn't like a member or anything like that. He just watched a lot of YouTube videos about it from according to his wife. And like he was fired up about that. Um, but also he said that some other things caused it as well. Like one of the things said that he said it was because of the airstrikes that the U.S. was carrying out. Another thing, another time he said that it was because of the killing of Wabu, Abu Wahib. It's unknown what the direct cause was. But as you mentioned, there's not really usually an ideological cause. Um also in 2018, so recently, evidence was found to suggest that my, Mateen didn't even know that Pulse was a gay nightclub. Wow. But at the time of the shooting, there were several reports that said that he had gone to the nightclub around a dozen of times. Yeah, I was going to say, I totally thought and that, that, he was, was closeted. that was part of a motive for him that he was like extremely closeted and it came out in violence. Yeah, so it was wishy-washy, unsure. Like, it's very possible that he was gay and like had very conflicted feelings towards it and so that's why he acted out but it's also very possible that he wasn't gay at all this wasn't a directed mm -hmm. shooting at at like the gay nightclub altogether um the his google search history showed that he had googled just nightclubs in orlando and, and he was it was just a really popular one kind of thing he like was he deciding be between full. two and apparently it was a last minute decision like on the night of wow yeah so oh that's so terrifying yeah um about Omar, he was born in New York in New Hyde Park. Uh, his parents were Afghani and he was raised Muslim. And he lived, at the time of the shooting, he lived in Fort Pierce, Florida, which is 188 kilometers away from the shooting. So imagine like having that intention in your mind and then driving 188 kilometers. Wow. Yeah. That's a long time to talk yourself out of something. Yeah. Um, a brief history on him. In 2006, 2007, he was trained to be a prison guard for the Florida Department of Corrections. He tried to be a Florida state trooper in 2011 and tried to get into the police academy in 2015. Both attempts were unsuccessful because he didn't pass the psychological exams, apparently. Wow. Um, but he was a security guard since 2007 and he held the statewide fire firearms license but here's the kicker in order to hold the firearms license for his job because all of the people in the security um firm that he worked for had a permit to hold a firearm and they were given a firearm as part of their job there has to be a psychological evaluation security cards are given a firearm this this group did wow um, maybe that's something that's different in canada than it is in the u.s but like i didn't think like i thought a really clear distinction between cops and security guards is that cops are the only ones that are licensed to carry job uh, gun as part of their employment yeah so he wow well i i don't i actually didn't detangle that but in the readings that i read there he had a permit for it from his job and was given a firearm because of the psychological evaluation but it they contacted the psychologist that 
conducted his evaluation because they wanted to see what was up with him what was up with this like Mm -hmm. evaluation whatever and the psychologist said actually i haven't been living in florida since 2006 and apparently the evaluation was conducted in 2007 and i never met this person before in my life g4s security g4s security the firm that he worked for was later sued for 1500 counts of falsified psych personality te- or psychology tests oh my god for their security guards but you want to know what the fine is for 1500 people or 1500 falsified records over a 10-year period it's only $151,000. that's fucked it's fucked up yeah so that's that's terrifying so yeah so they were arming potentially dangerous and unstable people that's terrifying and they were only fined one hundred fifty one thousand dollars. that's a regular terrifying. person could pay that off in their lifetime easy yeah yeah absolutely um that's uh i don't even know how to react to that what's even more fucked up is the actual gun that he used was a semi-automatic rifle that he purchased legally himself so it wasn't even the gun that he had for security I wonder if he had, if the, the firearms license though, that he used to get the, I don't know. Was the, I think they're, maybe they're different. I don't know. That's really, really scary though. Wow. Mm-hmm. So I think from what I read that Omar didn't actually have, or let's call him Mateen. Mateen didn't actually have any diagnosable illnesses. Um, his ex-wife, cause he had two wives, one at the time that he was the shooter but he also had an ex-wife who had divorced him like a few years prior um she called him bipolar which is really bad for the stigmatizing of the term bipolar which we talked about in our bipolar episode yeah yeah, because they um bipolar is characterized by manic and depressive episodes not outbursts of anger and she called him bipolar because he had like random outbursts of anger but she called him bipolar incorrectly yeah. and i just wanted to point that out having anger issues is not the same thing as being bipolar yeah wow. um as far as other people in his life in 2007 mateen threatened to kill or mateen threatened to shoot a police academy classmate at a cookout because his hamburger was touching some pork and that conflicts with his beliefs like with his religious diet um also, when Mateen was in working at the prison, he joked once about bringing a gun to a school. So the wow. warden, yeah. So the warden put was like, "This guy is not stable enough to work here." Uh, so he got administrative termination, which was not involving misconduct, apparently. But yeah, so he was terminated from his security or from his prison job because he had signs which you mentioned that sometimes yeah. they talk about stuff and like that. not just sometimes like what did i say 83 percent of the time they make references well uh that they talk about yeah doing something like this before they actually go through with it and to be very like careful about this not everybody who talks about shooting will become a shooter but 80 percent of the people who are, are shooters. shooters yeah yeah um another thing just on that note um as i was reading i found a lot of things talking about like mental illness and that like so many shooters have um psychiatric disorders or mental illness in their past and it's the same sort of thing it's not to say that because you have a mental illness or because you have a psychiatric disorder you are violent and like would be a a mass murderer or something like that um just to say that there's a commonality between many 
mass shooters it's, having. It's interesting this because in their I found competing information. Really? Yeah. So maybe I need to run like look for academic sources for this. But I, the information I found was that most shooters do not have a history of mental illness, which is why they're able to get guns legally and stuff like that because they don't have a history of mental illness or criminal records. Uh, yeah, I didn't say anything about, I didn't criminal, see anything records. about criminal records, but I did find, um, this will have to be, we'll have to get back to you guys on that one. Yeah. It'd be interesting to compare. And it's funny that we probably both found like that piece, good evidence. Yeah. <laughs> suggesting different things, but Hey, um, I suppose that's research on the internet, right? <laughs> um, another coworker said that Mateen had a lot of hatred for all minority groups and would frequently talk aggressively about them. So, like, blacks, Jews, Hispanics, wow. etc., women. And he talked about killing people. Another police academy classmate in 2006 described him as socially awkward, but said that they went to gay bars together. So this is where the whole gay storyline came out. So those are the people in Mateen's life who said, like, these are some disturbing things about him. But looking at his record as a whole, like, and here's where my kind of pop psychology analysis comes in. There are two things that stand out to me. One, he was a longtime habitual steroid user. And two, he was a s domestic abuser. So first I'll talk about the steroid user or steroid use. Um, psychologists that looked at his file don't know if it was actually like for sure a factor, but I just wanted to point out the side effect of steroids and, um, and then I'll bring up one case that Megan will definitely know about. Uh, people who are higher in testosterone tend to aggress more. Yes. Testosterone is yep. usually the steroid that's being taken. Um, if you're taking testosterone as a steroid, it's only logical to assume that you'd aggress more. Road rage isn't a saying just for fun. Roid rage. Sorry. Oh, roid rage. Oh, no. I know. Um, in studies. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm just like having flashbacks to somebody I knew once. Who's roiding out? Yeah. It was, it was a scary moment. <sighs> I was at a party and it was like. I'm leaving. <laughs> I don't, I didn't come with you. I don't know you, but like you were, you're with the people that I'm with and like, goodbye. Uh, um, in a study on rats, uh, steroids were found to increase defensive aggression, decrease anxiety and enhance dominant behavior. Um, when your dominant behavior is enhanced, then you're more likely to incite defensive aggression because you think that everything is your territory, etc. Um, and in many cases of inexplic inexplicably violent crime, perpetrators have been found to have taken steroids. So there's a close link between people who are taking steroids and like violent crime for no reason. This link is particularly evident when the level of violence and its cause seem meaningless. So like it's extreme violence over nothing. Something that was not extreme. Yeah. Um, and the case that Megan, I feel you'd know about with the steroids is Christopher Chris Michael. Benoit. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so he killed himself in 2007, June as well. So this is a very June heavy episode. He was a Canadian professional wrestler who killed his entire family and then himself. And I can't remember who did a podcast episode about this, but it was amazing. Uh, there are multiple. My favorite murder did Chris Benoit. Oh, yeah. That was probably uh, the one. So did last podcast on the left. Maybe that's the one that I listened to. Yeah. Um, both of them were very good. Um, last podcast on the left was very in depth, detailed yeah. and in depth. It was uh, one of the. They, they often have multi-part episodes over um, killers. This was one of the few single um, single episodes. And still. Yeah, but it, it's, uh, it's a really tragic story. It's a really tragic story. Yeah, so steroids. 
that's my first thing that's my first flag that he was a habitual steroid user um that could have increased the problem and he was domestically abusive domestic abuse and mass shooters has a huge history more shootings in u.s history are perpetrated by people who have a history of domestic abuse than are not so I think it's like 57% of mass shootings in U.S. history are perpetrated by people who have a history of domestic abuse, either being involved in it, witnessing it, I was or just perpetrating it. Yeah. What does history of domestic abuse mean? Thank yeah. you. And so, um, like, as a kid, if your parents fight and, like, your dad beats your mom, you don't know a proper way to express anger or aggression. You don't know how to deal with it properly. You think that violence is the answer. Uh, something that's common amongst both domestic abusers and shooters is that they need fear and intimidation so they need to control people with fear and intimidation and they have a need for control in general and they use violence as a strategy to exert control so um in the pulse night club with mateen he felt like he needed to control the narrative like he needed to mm-hmm. get his words out about this supposed offense to him personally and against ISIL, which he claimed allegiance with. He's like, I need to kill a bunch of people so that I can get the word out. Wow. Which is crazy. And he has a history of beating both of his wives. Wow. Yeah. Um, He in particular had no criminal record and many domestic abusers do not because the wives don't tend to come out against their husbands. Or victims, like children too. Or victims, yeah. And the... With... With that percentage, like 57% of shootings have been done by people involved in domestic abuse, that number could be much larger and we just don't know about it. That's true. It's the same thing like with women who have been raped or sexually assaulted. Underreporting is a huge thing. Um, These domestic abusers and shooters both tend to blame other people for their problems. So they might have an external locus of control. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. So they tend to blame other people for the problems. So I'm going to exert the pain on the other people. It couldn't be that, you know, I have some internal work to do. It's for sure somebody else's fault. Oh, yeah. That it's definitely my life isn't what I want it to your be. Your fault, random clubber. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the also something that's really pervasive in both domestic abusers and shooters is hypermasculinity. So the fear of not being perceived as masculine, fragile masculinity is a huge thing as part of both. Um, they both tend to hold really not archaic, but like old school views of like where women belong in the household and that sort of thing. And like men are powerful, men are the dominant, women should be submissive, etc. And when people like the domestic abusers that hold these kinds of views it's pretty in line with mass shooters who Mm. hold these kinds of views like i am alpha male i will go shoot people um and then here's an interesting fact in the last 10 years only 92 people have been killed by religious or muslim extremists in the states oh I've heard this statistic. Yeah. But in one single year, 895 people are killed by their intimate partners. Yeah. Like, if we think that it's Muslim extremists committing all crimes of, like, terror, we're looking at the wrong statistic. Yeah. Like, it's there's so many more people killed by intimate partners, so why wouldn't we assume that, oh, okay, this was a domestic abuser that went and shot up this place? Yeah. It's crazy. It's also, um, like in the last how many years how many um um muslim terrorists shot something up than it was like people who were in fear of or blaming muslim terrorists 
for the reason that they went and shot up. Like that guy who shot up that church in, um, uh, was it here? The, was it a mosque? Oh no. Oh yeah. That we had a mosque shooting in Canada. Yeah, The mosque shooting in Quebec. That was so sad. Um, no, the, it was, a. Oh, was it Texas? It was, or, or Charleston, North Carolina. I feel like that was, wow. We're mixing up our knowledge for sure. Well, I feel yeah. Like Charleston but, was, like, is it a little bit of a commentary on how many mass shootings fuck. there have been that we can't keep track of them all, especially in the month of May. I swear there was a mass shooting like every three days. Yeah. It was insane. Yeah. Well, if you count from end of April, like it kind of, for me, it was really prevalent starting with the guy um, in Toronto that ran over all of those pedestrians. That was the end of April. And then through May in the States. Yeah. It was wild. Um, speaking of Muslims and speaking of like terror in Sri Lanka right now, there's like quite a bit of civil unrest. This is completely unrelated, but I wanted to bring it up anyway because I go on tangents. There's quite a bit of civil unrest and it's between Buddhists and Muslims caused by some fake news on Facebook. Yeah. And like Buddhists were told that Muslims were trying to poison them and they were putting like infertility drugs in their food and whatever, because in Sri Lanka, the both, both religions live together. Yeah. And so this like social media has fueled this war between the two religions and it's just like recently exploded. Like it was a pile of Tinder, dry Tinder, just like waiting wow. for Facebook to light the match. It was crazy. So you mentioned social media earlier. Yeah. Um, and we were just talking about Muslims. So that's where my mind went to. Yeah. That. Okay. So despite that tangent, there is still just a little bit more to say about Mateen. Um, Talking specifically about his motives, he wrote on Facebook vowing vengeance for American airstrikes, like I mentioned, yeah. uh, the airstrikes in Iraq and Syria. Then during the shooting, when he called 911, he claimed that it was about that ISIL guy, ISIL guy, Abu Wahib, mm -hmm. um, being killed by the States. So he may have been inspired by ISIL, but they never converted him with training or anything. It wow. was just that he was watching their videos. Um, and then if I had to suggest a disorder for Mateen, not that he was actually diagnosed with this, not that I have an extensive history of his actions, but it could be um, APD, antisocial personality disorder. So uh, characteristics of that are aggression, anger, irritability, deceitfulness, hostility, and lack of empathy for others, all of which were ev evidenced by the fact that he beat the shit out of both of his wives and by the fact that he killed yeah. so many innocent people. Yeah. Like a monster. So yeah, that's that was my overview of Omar Mateen. Very short, but that's my case study. Wow, that's wow. Okay, thanks, Marta. That was uh, well done. That was mm, upsetting, but well done. Yes, thank you. Um, so yeah, uh, I'll, I'll move on mine onto mine now. I uh, I chose mine because I was particularly affected by this shooting when it happened, mm -hmm. um, both because of the age of and number of the victims and also um the age of the perpetrator and just the whole situation really really shook me for what i thought was uh possible to happen um so i'm covering the sandy hook elementary school shooting by adam lanza uh he was 20 years old uh on december 14th and that day he shot his mother and killed her in their home and then he drove eight kilometers to sandy hook elementary school where he fatally shot 20 children all were between six and seven years old and he also killed six adult staff members question already killing his mother would that classify as domestic abuse 
Uh, I don't know. To the fullest extent. Uh, I suppose so. I didn't find anything in my research that he said he had been violent toward her before. In fact, I found research that his mother never feared him. So I think it was a break. Um, But we'll, uh, I'll get to that, I think. So a little bit about him when he was growing up. He presented developmental challenges before three years old, including communication and sensory difficulties, socialization delays, and repetitive behaviors. At one elementary school he was in, he was diagnosed with a sensory integration disorder, which isn't really a formal diagnosis, but it's frequently one of the characteristics of autism. Um, Growing up, he was incredibly anxious, and that caused him to switch to a few different schools. Like, he would get overwhelmed by anxiety. He would switch schools, and then he would need to switch again. Um, He did actually attend Sandy Hook Elementary School for four years when he was younger. Um, At the age of 13, he was taken to see a psychiatrist who diagnosed him with Asperger's. On this same note, um, earlier in the episode, we had disagreed about the prevalence of mental illness in mass shootings, and I just Googled it. Oh, okay. I figured this would be a good time to interject. Um, At least this is according to a meta-analysis, so it's my favorite kind of analysis, like a fucking nerd, Um, uh, at least 59% of the 185 public mass shootings that took place in the U.S. from 1900 to 2017 were carried out by people who had either been diagnosed with a mental disorder or demonstrated signs of serious mental illness prior to the attack. So, you're right. 59% were carried out by people with mental half. disorder. Yeah. 57% were carried out by carried out by people who had a history of domestic violence. Wow. Either witnessing or participating or perpetrating. Wow. So these are some pretty, Those are pretty big good indicators. Factors. Yeah. Um, again, not to say that if you experience domestic d- abuse in some way or uh, have a mental disorder or illness doesn't make you a mass shooter but it is interesting that disproportionately yeah. yeah yeah wow um, and just real quick um, this doesn't mean that shootings sorry I don't know why I'm mentioning it here but this doesn't mean that shootings are only a mental health issue or like not at all a gun issue because if there was no gun there would be no shooting so yeah, access to weapons is certainly a factor. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. Sorry. It's uh it's a it's a complicated issue. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the guy would have acted out differently, but would twenty of children died? Yeah. <sighs> anyway. Um so he was diagnosed with Asperger's at the age of 13. He was very smart. Uh, at one school he went to, he was 14. He was actually on the honor roll, uh, but he was still really, really anxious. And he was described as people who knew him as intelligent, but nervous and fidgety. Um, at 14, his parents also took him to Yale University's Child Study Center, where he was diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder. Huh. He changed his socks 20 times a day. He would go through like a box of Kleenexes every day because he couldn't open a doorknob with his bare hands. Um, it was recommended uh, at that time Just that he have... Stop closing doors, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, you're in a public school, you that's know, true, you can't, true, maybe you true. don't have control over those stories i don't know i'm sorry um (laughs) it was recommended that he have extensive supports be in be in place for him um and he was also prescribed an antidepressant called selexa or selexa kelexa 
C-E-L-E-X-A. He took the medication for three days, but on the third day, he was complaining of dizziness uh, and disorientation. His speech was disjointed. He was sweating profusely, and he said he couldn't think, so his mom described it as like being a vegetable, basically, and he never took the medication again. Um, after after the shooting, um, there were a few reports published, and that's how I got a lot of the information that, that I got for this episode. Um, so a report from the Office of the Child Advocate found that Yale's recommendation for extensive special education supports, ongoing expert consultation, and rigorous therapeutic supports um, embedded into his daily life went largely unheeded. Mm. He had a lot of trouble socializing. He didn't have any close friends. And after several schools and a lot of difficulty, he eventually only attended school occasionally because he was experiencing so much intense anxiety. Um, and they thought perhaps that like he, he was diagnosed as autistic and they thought maybe his autism was being exacerbated by the hormonal shifts of adolescence at that time, that mm. it just was like really... Um, ramping up his anxiety Um, so he was ultimately taken out of high school and he was homeschooled instead so he got his GED and he took some classes at a a nearby state university Um, his father said that he suspected his son might also have suffered from undiagnosed schizophrenia in addition to his other conditions he thought maybe maybe family members might have missed some signs of that onset of schizophrenia he thought maybe family members might have missed the signs of the onset of schizophrenia and psychotic behavior during adolescence because they attributed it to in like his increasing isolation. They attributed it to his Asperger's, you know, it, it just went missed. Um, Another note here, autism isn't like a mental illness um, and it certainly didn't cause Adam's violence because violence is generally not seen in the autistic population. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying that that's like a that's a factor in in this just that like as far as his history goes, this like it's building the he was diagnosed with. Yeah. Yeah. It's building the isolation like a a big part of it is that he was very isolated both like because of his autism and because it like caused him to withdraw like more and more as life went on he um really isolated himself and asperger's is really like um the most social socially affecting form of so if anything asperger's would be the most likely to be associated with someone who's violent maybe i don't know but we do have an interview coming up yeah oh that's true with some autism experts so that'd be cool to ask that's them. a good question to ask them um one thing i do want to mention as it as it refers to um lanza's case um he saw a lot of psychiatrists and none of them detected any troubling signs of violence so do we think that maybe it was like something precipitating the event like just like a week or two before that just got suddenly cray yes so let me go on here because uh, I'm going to get to that. Um, so, again, according to that um, 2014 report by the Office of the Child uh, Advocate, and that was two years after the shooting that it was published, um, he may also have been anorexic. At the time of the shooting um, and his death, he was anorexic. He was six feet tall and only weighed 112 pounds um, to the point of malnutrition and uh, resultant brain damage. Um, Authors of that report also wrote that anorexia can produce cognitive impairment, and it's likely that anorexia combined with an 
autism spectrum disorder and OCD compounded his risk for suicide because he did like after after carrying out the shooting mm-hmm. the last person to die was him and it was self-inflicted um so he was living in almost total isolation at the time of the shooting. He spent most of his time on the internet playing video, video games, both violent and non-violent. Like he played World, um, World of Warcraft, but he also played a lot of Mario Brothers. I read many studies, well, not many, but I read a, a very convincing study recently that said that video, violent video games do not have a reliable link to yeah. mass shooting. Yeah. So... Um. I'm sorry that I bring this up every single time, but there's an episode of bullshit, bullshit. that goes that talks about um, violent video games being a factor for gun violence, and um, they it, it's really effective. Um, they have this kid who loves video games, and he's like nine or ten years old, and he's like really good. He plays a lot of. Um, well, not a lot of violent video games, but he plays a lot of video games. Some of them are violent. And, you know, he knows all about them. He knows all about the guns. He's, like, giving statistics about, like, the game and stuff like that. And then um, at, at the end of the episode, they take him to a shooting range and they let him use a real gun. And he, like, breaks down crying after using it. Like, and it was... It, he didn't ugh. like it. And also, if you listen to the Joe Rogan podcast, which I listen to, um, and that's what kind of turned my ideas around about like restricting gun ownership and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Um, he is a gun lover, and a lot of the guests, Joe Rogan is, yeah. Oh, and a lot of the guests that he has on are also gun lovers. Um, and it's just the way he talks about it; it's with such respect. And he's like, "When I started shooting, that's when I had more of an appreciation of the fragility of people's lives and that sort of thing." So, like, yeah, there are some people who are quite well adjusted. And like, I actually went to a shooting range when I was in Vegas, and it's fucking terrifying yeah it's terrifying to hold a gun i'm an excellent shot of course because i'm amazing at everything i do joking um but i like it is yeah guns gun ranges in general are terrifying everybody in there could kill you yeah they could turn around and just kill you so guns are scary well sorry no side note that's that's quite quite the side note um so uh, Lanza was very isolated at the oh time god. of the shooting. Yeah, uh, oh my god, we went on such a tangent. <laughs> that was a tangent, but uh, yeah, he was really isolated. He played a lot of video games, both violent and non-violent. Um, in the weeks before the shooting, his mother was considering um, moving him to another town, and so she was going to rent an RV for him to stay in, so that potential buyers could come in to view the house without bothering him. Like he wouldn't let anyone in his room. He was so particular and he was so isolated, right? So mm-hmm. she couldn't very well sell the house if he's in there and won't come out of his room or won't mm-hmm. let other people into his room. So she was going to get him this RV so that she could get the house sold and move him. Um, and the same child advocate report said, uh, and I'm going to read a quote here as best I can, in the wake of Mrs. Lanza's stated plan to move out of Sandy Hook in 2012 and perhaps um, stimulated by fears of leaving the comfort zone of his home, Adam planned and executed the massacre at Sandy Hook Elementary School on December 14th, 2012. His severe and deteriorating internalized mental health problems were combined with an atypical preoccupation with violence combined with access to deadly weapons. This proved a recipe for mass murder. Didn't he borrow his mom's gun? Yeah. So um, he he did have 
an interest in shootings and in violence, and he did have access to guns. Um, so after the shooting occurred, investigators found that he was like fascinated by mass shootings, most notably Columbine and the Northern Illinois University shooting of 2008. Um, among the clippings found in his room, there was a story from the New York Times about a man who shot at school children in 1891, and his computer contained two videos of gunshot suicides, uh, movies which showed shoot school shootings, and two picture of Lanza pointing guns at his own head. Fuck. Uh, he also had a document called Selfish on his computer, which was about the inherent selfishness of women. Um, all of this only came to light after he died because, like I say, he would, didn't let anyone in his room, including his mother. He had, like, taped his windows um, black with black garbage bags so that the son would, wouldn't come in. He'd cut off contact from his brother and his father in the two years leading up to the shooting. And at one point, he communicated with his mother only through emails, even though they lived in the same house. What the fuck? Yeah. So, access to weapons. His mother was a gun enthusiast. She owned at least a dozen firearms. Oh, shit. Yeah, she regularly took Adam and his brother to the local shooting range where they learned how to shoot. Um, she kept guns in the house, although it wasn't clear to me how they were kept. Like, I don't know if they were locked up or if they were easily accessible. So, like, I'm not saying, like, I'm not at all trying to point the blame or anything like that, but he did have access to weapons, which is if you're going to commit a mass shooting, a pretty critical aspect to yeah. it is that you need access to those weapons. That's wild. All the stuff that you told me that they found in his room. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. And it's scary because it sounds like there were a lot of indicators and because of his, um, isolation, obsessive isolation, um, no one had the opportunity to see that stuff coming, I think. And probably because he changed the socks 16 times a day. Yeah. That helped um, it. So, so to getting to the why, um, James Noel, another forensic psychologist, he works at the State University of New York. He was consulted about what motivated this killing. And he said that um, Lanza's final act conveyed a distinct message. I carry profound hurt. I'll go ballistic and transfer and transfer it on to you and that's as much of a motive as we're going to find um the report from the office of the child advocate concluded that there wasn't one thing that was necessarily the tipping point for for the shooting um it was a cascade of events many self-imposed that included loss of school absence of work dist uh, disruption of the relationship with one of his friends virtually no personal contact with his family um increasing total and increasing isolation fear of losing his home uh and a change of his relationship with his mother um who was his only caretaker and like really his only social connection um worsening ocd depression anxiety profound and possibly worsening anorexia and an increasing obsession with mass murder uh occurring in the total absence of any engagement with the outside world um, it's crazy to me that yeah. somebody can plan something like that like mass murder and go through with it but like what's the point like what was his goal there's no goal like maybe like transferring my pain onto you but i don't know i don't know um yeah. not that not that any goal would be able to justify killing so many people or children no i know what you mean yeah i know what you mean we're like like what's the purpose how are you um like for someone to this. go to like this was years in the making 
for something that doesn't really seem like it just seems so random yeah um it's it's worth noting that even though he did have multiple developmental and uh, mental health problems he hadn't received adequate mental health treatment um and had he received more adequate treatment in the later years of his life that probably could have mitigated some of the risk like if he was you know what i mean like maybe if there was another goal instead of this one i don't know yeah like if his goal was to like build the most dope ass treehouse <laughs> or like anything just not violent yeah yeah um the state attorney also released a report after the shooting um that summarizing their investigation it concluded he acted alone uh he had a familiarity and access to firearms and ammunition and an obsession with mass murders uh, it did not identify a motive. It said that the evidence showed that the shooter planned his actions, including taking his own life. But there's no clear indication why or why he targeted Sandy Hook Elementary School. Um, it also noted significant mental health issues that affected his ability to live a normal life or interact with other people. Um, and uh, what contribution that might have had to the actual shooting really isn't known because the mental health professionals who saw him like i said they didn't see any of that like they didn't predict any of that in his behavior they did not identify signs of violence um the report also found no evidence that lanza had taken drugs or medication that would have affected his behavior um, so answering why might not really be answered conclusively ever um despite the fact that there was such an investigation um going into it mm -hmm. um and we have like so much information and background information about him um and his psychological profile like yeah. this is actually a gold mine yeah, for it's, a ton, yeah. it's a ton of stuff so um uh, at the end of 2013 police released thousands of pages of documents pertaining to the investigation and it included information found on his um, his computer equipment including writings and material about previous mass shootings a former teacher of lanza's noted that he exhibited antisocial behavior uh rarely interacted with other students and was obsessed with writing about battles destruction and war um i wanted to figure out if there was some sort of reason why he chose that school in particular or a school mm. in general was um, it just close to him well it was close to him so maybe proximity is part of it um but the office of the child advocate report noted that according to the fbi shooters are likely to target places or people that are familiar to them so the elementary school might have been targeted because he could easily overpower people there which is a really important thing for mass shooters like they don't want to attack an area where they can be taken down they want to have like you say they want to have control over the, yeah. the situation so he knew that he knew the location and he knew that he could be relatively successful that's insane yeah. something that ties both of our shooters together is they both like had a disdain for women you uh, yeah. that women were inherently selfish yeah um that's really just that one document but yeah you're right i don't know if it's because like i think maybe just because I'm trying to grapple with the fact, like, because then saying that is like, oh, women are not mass shooters because they don't have a problem with women. And, like, having a problem with women is what makes you a mass shooter. It isn't, like, but I just think that women do terrible things in other ways. Like, they're angels of death, like, in nursing yeah. professions and whatever. Although there are male accounts of that as well. Mm -hmm. um, I I don't know. Um, I think, I think it's... 
like is it a male problem like is it like toxic masculinity or fragile masculinity or whatever or is it like just a general problem for all people oh i think masculinity is a part of it um personally i do um because i don't know it just seems that it is it seems like well maybe that's not the right way to put it but it seems like there is definitely a lot of anger and misplaced or misunderstood aggression and maybe it's not a fluke but like that um hatred or violence towards women is seemingly common among these mass shooters is that like is that a is that a identifier Hmm. i don't know what i'm trying to say that it's just like um i guess we won't know i don't know for a while yeah i guess it's a hard one to answer there okay so is that about it for our shooter episode? That's uh, that's what I have for Lanza. I mean, as far as giving a diagnosis, he had several diagnoses. Um, and I think the one that was maybe missing was antisocial personality. But he, I think it would have been really hard to diagnose in him. Well, because he's he, Asperger's. Yeah. So it could just be... And like, he was so isolated. One looks like, like the other. He would never... Um, would he have ever been... Um, able to convey enough about what was going on inside of him that he could get that diagnosis, even if it was there. Well, he conveyed something. Yeah. In the form of a horrific act. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I hope you guys liked our case study. I hope episode. you found it interesting. Maybe liked is the wrong word. Maybe. Yeah. Liked is the wrong word, but just like enjoyed this format or found this format valuable because we are interested in doing case studies yes as well kind of because we were told that it might be more interesting and we agree that it might be more interesting it's certainly a nice way to mix up the research approach for me to have like a more pointed goal yeah Yeah. um and that's about it for us today guys we have an autism episode coming up which is exciting we have a social anxiety episode coming up which is exciting Uh, in the next month or two yeah i think so so i'd say look forward for those um we are who knew we didn't everywhere remember to use our hashtag wkwd i keep checking on twitter and nobody's using it so use it please at least just once for me and just be like here marta here you go here's that (laughs) here's that gratification you were looking for yeah um also if you guys have any suggestions we love to hear from you if you have any thoughts on today's episode or any episode let us know Yeah. Um, Who knew we didn't everywhere? And thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye.